date of recording, the 21st of June, 2021. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Media with Vedant Okari. For today's episode, we're talking about Turkey. And my guest for today is Miss Celine Tutar. Hey, Celine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, you just want to quickly introduce yourself. Sure. I recently graduated from IC with a degree in journalism and politics. I am from Turkey. I was born and raised here. I'm from the capital city of Ankara, but I also spent a good amount of my childhood in the southern parts of Turkey. Um, I then moved to the United States for my high school and college education. My parents are still in Turkey uh, in the meantime. And then I am now a journalist trying to find a job in Turkey or anywhere else in the world, pretty much. That's awesome. And that's pretty cool that you came to the United States for high school. Like, how did that work? Was it a boarding school or did you have a host family? I had a host family and I was lucky in the sense that we had very remote family that we didn't really have a connection with previously, my father's cousin. Um, but then she was here for a vacation and then it just all worked out. I ended up living with her for two years and then I lived with a host family my senior year. That's awesome. So Speaking of Ithaca College, what was it like to take remote classes, especially during their senior year from Turkey? It was unexpected. I didn't think that's how I was going to be wrapping up my senior year. Um, all in all, I think it worked out. The professors were quite helpful. The time difference obviously added another obstacle for me. I would even confuse like assignment times just because like the time change and the daylight savings and all of that, it would get really confusing. But all in all, I think it worked out. Um, I, I think the professors and I made the best of it. Um, it wasn't pleasant at all times, but it is now done. That's great. I mean, the seven hour difference. So were you like up until like four or five in the morning all the time? Uh, well, thankfully, I was able to select my classes that I didn't have really late classes in the fall semester. I did. I had a class that went until about 2 a.m. Um, and it was my only two and a half hour class. And that was just me poorly choosing classes because I really love the material and I wanted to do it, but the time just didn't work, which I realized about three weeks into the course. But you know what? It was a good class. The professor was really good. The discussion was really good. So I was able to um, take it until 2 a.m. That's great. You know, at least at least you're done. <laughs> and that's that's it. Like I, you know, I, I can complain all I want, but it is done. And you know, it's it's still a bit of a strength to know that you were able to go through something that that's as bizarre as doing remote classes in your senior year. So I'm just I'm just glad to be here right now. Yeah, I'm glad to have you too. And so this how how this episode is going to work is we're going to have four sections. First, uh, being a journalist in Turkey, then media literacy, then news media, and then fiction media. So we're going to start with what it's like to be a journalist in Turkey. So Celine, where do you want to start? Um, I guess I can just talk a bit about like my experience overall, and then we can dive into bit more specifics about how to be a journalist or the problems that come with being a journalist in Turkey. Um, so I am not necessarily like, employed at the moment, but I was a journalist in Turkey. You know, you mentioned I was taking remote classes. So with those remote classes, I still had to produce um, stories, um, either for a website or for the class directly. So during that time, I did pretty much have to put on the hat of a journalist and a reporter and come up with my own stories and pitch ideas. And I, again, I was lucky because I was in Ankara and my beat is politics. I do tend to go more with political news and it's the capital. So I got a good amount of government news. But one of the obstacles that I faced was 
pretty much the bureaucracy of how it goes, especially when you're looking for an interview. It's quite hard to track down interviews, if, especially if you're not like a well-established or an independent journalist. Um, because I guess if you do have those connections or if you do work for an outlet, they're going to have some sources that are going to be more accessible to you. But if, if you're on your own, if you're just starting out, it was quite difficult to track people down. It's quite difficult to talk to people who are working in a government job, which, again, we're in Ankara, so almost everyone is working in a government job, whether that be really low level, just like a public officer job or just high level governors and lieutenant governors. It gets quite difficult because everyone has to get permission from their like from their seniors and their supervisors. So sometimes I would go into interviews thinking that that was going to be it for the day. And I was going to be able to wrap up my day in like an hour or two. And there and then I would learn that they actually used to get permission from three more people. And then sometimes things wouldn't work out. Stories would crumble. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of tears at one point because it was difficult, but you know what? It, it's difficult. <laughs> I had a question about that. So you were also a student journalist in Ithaca, New York before the pandemic. So was it easier in the United States for you to get interviews and sources than in Turkey? Would you say that? I would say it was easier in Ithaca um, for two reasons. One of them, I don't think that there's that much of bureaucracy that's going on, even when you're trying to talk to government officials or like healthcare officials. I think it was easier to get that, that type of interview, but also because I think it's a smaller community. So there's a limited options of limited option of people that you can reach out to. Um, and just because I, I did already have like somewhat of an established base at Ithaca with working with WICB with being a reporter there previously. So I did have some contacts. It was certainly a lot easier in Ithaca than in Ankara, though. Yeah, I can understand uh, it being easier for WICB, the college radio station. And so uh, there are a lot of problems facing journalists in Turkey. So are there any specific ones that you want to talk about? Um, the first thing that comes off to mind, just because I'm experiencing it right now, is the job insecurity. There isn't a lot of opportunities for journalists. I am currently pursuing a few options. Um, and the process are the pro the process for each of these are very long, um, but overall, there's barely any jobs. You know, you can just scour through LinkedIn and all these other like Indeed and all these other databases that have uh, job listings, and there's rarely any reporter jobs. I don't I don't know how that's possible because I keep seeing all these like new outlets opening, small newspapers opening somewhere, but somehow they're either rarely filled, um, especially when talking about like local newspapers. Sometimes it's like a staff of one. Like the, there's one person that's like putting the whole newspaper together. And in Ankara, you know, this could be like one neighborhood of Ankara has this newspaper, but remind you, it's a city of six million. So even one neighborhood has like 50,000 people. Um, but when you when you have such small openings and then it just becomes journal harder for new journalists to step into the, the industry. And, you know, there's a lot of established, really good journalists in Turkey um, and there are a lot of good outlets in Turkey. But if if they're not opening up to new reporters, it just becomes harder for the industry to become younger and evolve with time. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about punishment that a lot of journalists face in Turkey? Yeah, I see it, it's nice because you 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 want to get a job and then once you get a job, there are all these other things that come along with it. Um, the I, I've I realized that there are two different types of punishments. One of them comes from just working for a big conglomerate, which is the case for almost all the journalists in Turkey because media companies tend to own multiple outlets. Um, and the other one is that the scrutiny that you probably may face from the government um, or other public 
people. Um, and, you know, if you're working for a big conglomerate, you can just like either get shushed or you can just be fired. Um, sometimes the stakes are higher and you get imprisoned. There is a disturbingly high amount of journalists that are in prisons in Turkey right now, which is really upsetting. Um, but, uh, you know, it. I guess the press is supposed to be free. So uh, you can say whatever you want. It's just what's going to happen isn't guaranteed after that. Yes, and I believe it says in the Turkey Constitution that press is free and shouldn't be censored. Correct? Yeah, it, it there's it's it's that's literally an article. It says the press is free, shouldn't be censored, and it it gets like I mentioned, it's one of those things. Like it's free and it shouldn't be censored. It's just I'm not guaranteeing what's going to happen to you after you publish or after you write whatever you're going to write. And remind you, this is only a protection from the government. It's not a protection from private companies. So in private companies, it's quite it's quite obvious that press isn't free. Gotcha. And so before we move on to media literacy, is there anything else you want to mention about what it's like, generally speaking, to be a journalist in Turkey? I do want to add that, yes, being imprisoned is bad, but there's another thing that happens a lot, which is being killed as a journalist. Um, and this doesn't often come from the government. It comes from just like private people, uh, you know, not. And it comes, it comes, I think, partly because there is a sense of mistrust against journalists that I think you know, governments and all other political parties do kind of create. And when that kind of distrust happens, um, it becomes somehow more viable for people to harass journalists. You know, being killed, obviously that does happen, but even more often is like journalists are harassed on social media, journalists are harassed and like in person. Um, so there's a lot of danger that comes into coming to this job. And there are a lot of people who still want to do it. So... Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm not trying to um, like completely compare the United States to Turkey, but I feel like even in the United States, there's this growing and concerning mantra that the press is the enemy. Like um, I, I saw the January 6th insurrection on live TV and um, there are people calling for the press to be murdered. And it's just a very growing concern, I think, around the world now. Yeah, I actually did notice that because I was doing a paper in it for one of my classes. And what I noticed is the mistrust against journalists in the United States also pretty much came from the government. At that time, it was the president was Trump. So he would get on Twitter and pretty much say all these things about like the fake news and the bad press and how people were against him. And then he would rile up his supporters. Um, and I think that is very likely what's happening here as well. Do you feel like there's a general mistrust, whether they're local or a conglomerate, or do you feel like there's some difference between the two? I think um, local news is pretty poor, especially in a place like Ankara, just because, you know, this is where, like, it's Istanbul and it's Ankara, where the national news channels are. So local news doesn't really get that much of an attention here, which is really unfortunate because local news is the beginning of news, in my opinion. Um, but when it comes to mistrust, the way I see it is, if you are sided with the current ruling party, you have a mistrust against some channels. And if you are sided with um, the party, the opposing parties, you have a mistrust against certain channels. So whatever your political view is, you just don't listen to and you just basically just pan out everything else that comes to you in a different opinion. Mm -hmm. And this is the perfect segue into our second topic, media literacy. So what do you have to say about that? Um, I think it is dangerously low. Media literacy is dangerously low in Turkey. And that is somewhat shocking to me, given that there is a culture of watching the news 
ever since I was growing up, and this was the case in all of my friends' families as well, we have, you know, seven o'clock afternoon, evening news, I'm sorry, evening news. And I know this happens in the United States as well. You know, we're in your local news channels or ABC or NBC, and there would be like a 7 p.m. news section, right? And that, that's something that's quite popular in Turkey. Everyone watches the news at seven. Uh, I, I still do it. And, you know, my parents still do it. It could be sitting down to dinner and you watch the news. It could be just like right after dinner, sipping out some tea and you watch the 7 p.m. section. And given how much people consume news, even through just like the news channels that give 24-hour news, it's upsetting to see that so many people are not literate when it comes to media. You know, they don't know how to filter information that's given to them. They, they can't tell apart what's biased and what's fact. Um, they can't understand what's a reliable source is. And I think this is in part of, A, the education system of the country, because there is not a lot of media literacy that's taught in schools. But B, the fact that people just follow whatever their, their perspective media conglomerate says to them. You know, you basically learn what the big companies want you to learn at this point. And it's not... That, that's not evident to most people. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say is the difference between the channels that you see in the media over there? Um, I would say there's a few news channels that do 24-hour news that pretty much cycle the same story over and over and over and over. Um, they're not not biased, but they're not biased that, in a, like a very obvious way. So you can just you know scroll into channels and learn some things. And then there are a few channels that are quite biased to the point where they could be reporting on the exact same thing. And one channel will say, can you imagine, can you believe how amazing this thing is? For example, let's talk about Turkish economy. You'll turn on one of the channels. Let's say you want to have a good night. You want to go to sleep happy. You'll turn on one of the channels and someone will be talking about how the economy is soaring and how everything is going great. And all these jobs are open for all these, all these young people. And then you will turn on the other channel and suddenly you'll just like fall into this pitfall that is depression because they will talk about how the economy is horrible and there's nothing good going on in the country and there's like no jobs and everyone's like dying on the streets. There's no medium. Uh, it, it just kind of depends on what your political view is and then you'll just watch the same story spent two different ways. So there's no in between basically. Is that what you're saying? I, I, yeah, I'm confident there's basically no in between, even when it comes to um, wire services, you know, stuff like Associated Press, the wire services are owned by media conglomerates as well. Um, so even the stuff that comes in through like the wire services that are quite opinionated and the only thing that's not opinionated, I don't know, sometimes they'll put on like a funny video of a cat being chased down the street by like dogs or something. And that would be, that would be the most unopinionated thing you can see on TV. We're going to get into uh, opinionated media like further in a bit, but anything else you want to say about the media literacy rate in Turkey? It's just low. It's it's way lower. And this is not going to get Turkey anywhere, especially when it comes to trying to understand what's right. Mm -hmm. In the notes, we made an outline for this episode and under opinionated media, it says something about the minister of the interior's last TV interview. Would you mind elaborating on that? Sure. So this whole thing started about, I think like about a month ago. Um, one of the old like mafia-ish type leaders of Turkey, who's currently not in Turkey, um, he's somewhere out hiding, we're not really sure, started coming out with these YouTube videos. And in each video, he was basically accusing slash exposing, depends on whether you believe it or not, um, people in the current Turkish government, you know, the current administration. And it, it was basically this ex expose on how corrupt everything is. Again, if you believe it, because these are not um, quite like 
substantial claims, some of them. And for a few weeks, these come out every Friday, every Sunday. And this was like a whole thing in Turkey. Everyone waited for Sunday and it was like a new episode of a TV show was coming out. It, it did really well on YouTube too. I think he's verified right now. Um, but uh, for like two weeks, he started to focus a lot on the current Ministry of the Interior. And the our, our ministries are a bit different than the United States, but it's basically when you're thinking about like departments, so you have like the president, you have the vice president, and then you have like a bunch of ministries. The Ministry of the Interior is probably like one of the highest ones. Um, so he basically started to accuse the Ministry of Interior of like all types of corruption, all types of these things. And it, the, the government was radio silent about it for a week. But Twitter was crazy. Everyone was coming out with their own theories. And then there was a lot of accusations. People were calling for... Um, calling for resignations, calling for the president to fire the man, and the government was just radio silent. No one talked about it. A week later, um, I think it was about a week later, when the Ministry of Interior said, I'm going to get on national TV on one of the TV channels, uh, and it's going to be like talk show style, and he was basically going to be questioned by four or five journalists that are quite renowned. So everyone is tuned in. Everyone is, I, I was tuned in, my whole family was tuned in. We were all, you know, everyone was looking forward to it. Um, but I think it's quite easy to say this in the most non-biased way possible. The Ministry of the Interior did not answer any of the questions. There were some there he would he would be asked something and he would like answer something completely different. Um, but the problem there was the journalists. They were they were not pushing up. They weren't asking the right questions. You know, people on Twitter were asking better questions. And for some reason, they just didn't have that intention of being the good journalist there and like, keep being pushy, keep asking the same question over and over again until they get that response. It just was a very disappointing thing to watch just because I thought it was going to be a lot more. Um, the mafia or so leader is currently, you know, still going on with his accusations and there hasn't been any other kind of confrontation from journalists to the government. So that's upsetting. Mm -hmm. And was this part of that 7 p.m. news culture that you described earlier? Um, yes, in the sense that like everyone was watching it, but it wasn't at, like it wasn't at seven. There's also another culture of news talk shows. Um, and, you know, the 24 hour news channels, they will have like talk ish talk show ish things, um, episodes every single day. And they will talk about like different things. It could be like about whatever's going on in the country. It could be about something random, something culture related. Uh, it was one of those um, it was one of those programs that he wanted to join in. Gotcha. And so would you agree that there are news channels that claim to be non-opinionated when they really are? Yeah, I, I think the channel that he was on was one of those channels. Um, the channel that he was on, that program was on, and pretty much all those news channels that claim to be not opinionated just because they don't outright say things, you know, they can be non-opinionated when it comes to government matters, but they are currently opinionated when it comes to like commenting on business, commenting on the environment, because they are owned by these huge conglomerates. Like I mentioned before, you know, there will be like a news agency and they will own three channels, four newspapers, two radio stations. On, on the side, they will have like an energy business. So you never hear them talk about like the environmental effects of poor use of energy. And you'll never hear them talking about like health effects that come along uh, with whatever products that they're putting out. And that's not being opinionated. That's being opinionated in the sense that you're hiding things and you're only portraying what you want to be portrayed. You know, it's kind of like if you would be watching, if you would be reading um, like the 
Washington Post and then you're never going to hear something bad about Jeff Bezos. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's basically along the lines of that. So um, this, again, ties back to media literacy in the sense that all these channels and all these organizations are going to claim that there are unopinionated, but people who are literate in media, they will be able to see right through that. Gotcha. And in your notes here, it's it says something about you doing a shadow role. Would you mind elaborating on the shadow role? Sure thing. So for a summer, I shadowed in one of these big national news channels. Um, they are quite renowned and they I mean they're they're good. They do they do they put out good news. Um my experience there wasn't great for a few reasons. Uh, one of them being it was still like earlier in my journalism career. So I was quite shy and that's on me. But it just wasn't a, a great environment for new journalists to hop in. It was just a lot of old season journalists and a lot of ties of who knew who from where and, you know, how they previously worked together somewhere. It just was a really hard place to get into if you were just a starting journalist. One of the really unfortunate experiences that I had there um, came in in one of the pitch meetings. Um, and, you know, it was the Ankara office. So the main channel was in Istanbul. So the Ankara office mainly comes in when it's like government news and diplomatic news, sometimes local Ankara news. Um, and I was just like a general shadow. Sometimes I shadowed diplomatic reporters. Sometimes it was like shadowing a party's reporter. But I was also expected to pitch my own stories. So um, I was like going through the local newspapers. I found that there was a new hotline for women who were victims of domestic abuse. Um, and it was a hotline for them to call and it had just opened and a lot of people knew about it. So I thought, hey, this should be this should be on the news. So, you know, women know. And when I pitched this to my editor, I guess I am still kind of bitter about this just because uh, for what's about to come later. When I pitched this to my editor, he, uh, which is great to hear from a man, he basically said that that was not newsworthy. And then the next day when I was getting ready to head out of the apartment to go into work, I was watching a news channel and apparently a panda, no, I'm not a panda, a draft playing soccer was more newsworthy than a domestic hotline that opened. So it's stuff like this too. It's like you never see what's really, really important when people should know. It just all becomes, it's it's like for show. You know, they fill those 24 hours with news for show. And then if they have actual important stories that people need to hear, it just gets mixed up in there. It's covered more these days um, just because of the cancellation of the Istanbul Convention, which was a woman's right, like it, um, it was a woman's protection convention that had happened in Istanbul and a bunch of countries had signed it and Turkey had signed it. And the Turkish people were calling for the government to impose the, this treaty more. And the Istanbul Convention basically made it so that people who were convicted for violence against women and violence against the LGBT community couldn't get out of prison easier. So it, it was it was asking for harsher sentences and harsher punishments. And instead of imposing the treaty, the convention, the government just backed out of the convention. Um, and when that was being talked about in news and that was being debated as if it was a right or wrong call, when it's obviously the wrong call, um, And this is like, again, it doesn't have to be biased to say something. You don't have to be a biased journalist per se to say if something's right and something's wrong. Being a journalist also means that you have to be able to call out what's right and what's wrong. And it was wrong for the government to pull out of that convention. But when journalists were discussing this on those like talk shows every night, you could go through each channel. There wasn't any woman in the guests. You know, you're talking about a woman's issue and maybe the moderator is a woman. 
that gets shushed down by the male guests. You know, you're talking about a woman's issue. It's male, a, a whole male, um, a whole male show. And this actually happened really recently when I was watching another channel and it was about like it, it, the, the show that they were talking. I think it was about like women conquerors. The guests were men. You know, I'm pretty sure you could find like a woman historian to talk about that or like a woman psychologist talk about that. But no, they were all men. Um, there are a few channels that I do like that do regularly have women guests. And I'm not calling for women guests only women's issues. But, you know, when you're talking about like a government policy, you can pull in an expert that's women because there are experts that are women, you know, in like government policy. There are women who are lawyers. I don't know why you can't call one of those. And it's consistently always the same men it's always the same men and some of them just get on there and they, they they talk and i literally have no idea what they're talking about um no one does it then they become a whole meme on twitter instead just put women on tv it's literally not that hard and even as hosts they get shushed down a lot there are a lot of junior reporters that are women so you'll hear them a lot when it's like small news segments but there aren't a lot of women that are in high roles and govern in 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 news media, which again, it's problematic. Absolutely. We need more women in these roles because like you said, we need that expertise for issues like these. Yeah, exactly. And so you mentioned Twitter. So that reminds me, what do you have to say about uh, the censorship of social media outlets? Uh, that happened quite frequently for a while. And that was when, especially in two different times of my lifetime, I think one was when there was a lot of terror related a crime going on um and that was a quite a scary time um but still i don't think the the answer to all the problems was to you know censor twitter censor youtube or censor wikipedia for that for that point but um and then there were a lot of anti-government protests which again led to twitter and youtube being censored just because that's how people were connecting with each other to create these protests um it's wrong, obviously. I think it's it's one thing to limit an account or a topic um, if you think that is a national security concern, but it's another thing to shut down like entire Wikipedia for like one mistyped thing that they published 45 years ago or something. And I that's that's absolutely one of the things that the government should be stepping on the break a bit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, national security concerns and stuff. So what do you have to say about censorship for political reasons? Um, again, that's political reasons. I think it is a bit more complex. It's, it's, it's not as black and white when you're talking about like American censoring uh, of the news because, you know, even though there have been like big terror attacks in the United States, it's not nearly as dangerous as it is in other parts of the world. And certainly Turkey is not dangerous as it is in other parts of the world too. But when you live in a place like Turkey, and like I mentioned, I did grow up in the Southeast. Um, and uh, maybe I didn't realize it as much at that time, but now I'm realizing more and more how scary it was, especially because of terror at that time. So when it comes to justifying, like shutting down outlets because they are supporting terrorist organizations, I am more inclined to say that's okay. Because um, I, I am aware and I can, I don't know if I can name their names, but I do know that some of these outlets were pretty much just terrorist propaganda. Um, and it that does become bothersome if you're a person who knows other people who died because of terrorists. So things like that i think are more justified or other censorship that came through when the coup had happened um in 2016 again a very scary time the moment they don't really realize what happened but you know a few days after then you kind of you know you mentioned the january 6th 
the whole situation that happened was it the fifth i'm so sorry um the whole the situation that happened yeah the six um the whole situation that happened at the white house that's basically what happened here but like every single city um and it was it was quite terrifying and there was a lot of censorship that came after that too which again i don't know if it was the best practice for free media but then i do kind of understand why some of those outlets would be shut down for example one of the newspapers um i i don't even know if i can call it a newspaper it was called zaman which means the time um, and I, I, it wasn't news. I mean, I was like 14 at the time there when I first, like first saw that newspaper on the stand and it was just propaganda. It was straight up propaganda for the organization that then stayed and then, then created the coup. Um, so when organizations like that are shut down, I am more inclined to say, yes, maybe that's okay. But then I think the media, the government kind of forgets what the bounds of their power is and then censors organizations left and right, just because they're getting all these criticism from those organizations so it needs to be a little um there need to be more defined rules as to what it's okay to be censored and what's not gotcha and i like how you drew comparisons to the capital six insurrection at uh, the capitol uh I, I like how we're able to compare this to the united states in some ways yeah yeah uh, and it was that was quite interesting to watch from afar for a few reasons just because number one i knew it wasn't gonna go anywhere other than the capital i, I like i knew it wasn't I, I knew that it wasn't going to be an actual like national threat on Americans. I knew the I knew the National Guard was going to be able to shut that down. It wasn't shutting it down because the president didn't want it to be so. Um, but I knew that was going to be the case. So watching that from afar and like seeing all that chaos was kind of fun. Um, again, watching it from afar. Um, but when when it was the coup here, you really didn't know what happened. I mean, I didn't sleep that entire night. Um, because you d you didn't know what was going to happen like it just I, I like I mentioned I was living in the southeast at the time and somehow for the first time in my entire lifetime I lived in the quietest city in Turkey because nothing happened there um but my grandparents were living in Ankara at the time and they could hear helicopters and they could hear like sirens and they could hear people getting shot down and that was terrifying um so obviously the media treatment treatment against those things are going to be different too and we've mentioned a couple of times in this episode that um, most of the media is owned by very big conglomerates, very few conglomerates. Do you feel like that has caused censorship at times? Yeah, I think it caused censorship, not in the sense that you say something and then it gets taken down. It's just you can't say something at all. Um, for example, like I mentioned, if you're owned by a corporation that also manufactures weapons, let's say, you can't say a lot about like, gun violence or you can't say a lot about government inter like military interventions in certain countries because you know you're essentially being paid by the people who make money off of um of said whatever thing so the censorship that comes in from those big, big media conglomerates all comes in from the fact that you're just hired by someone who has like four different businesses and you're going to put out whatever they want you to put out and you're going to read what's on the prompter and it's not going to be written by journalists it's going to be written by people in power who likely don't want you to be journalists they just want you to say whatever you want to whatever they want you to say mm -hmm. and are there any other reasons that you can think of where politics led to censorship well like i did mention i do think that the government loses a grip of what's okay to censor and what's not okay to censor Again, I'm not one of those people that can say you can never censor any type of media because I do understand that some media is not media. It's it's propaganda and it's dangerous. But I think the government sometimes loses track of 
what's okay to censor and what they just don't want to hear. Like you can't just shut down a news channel um, because they criticized you and you just don't want to hear that. But you can't shut down a news channel if they're calling for people to get arms and then come up against you. Gotcha. And so we're going to move on to our final category, fiction media. But is there anything else you want to say about um, news media? Um, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about a bit like more fun stuff. Awesome. And so, yeah, there are quite a bit of problems with um, fiction media in Turkey. So which one do you want to start with? Um, let's first start with how the quality has decreased immensely. Um, and I see this a lot, especially with like, TV shows and TV programs. I am... I, I, I quite watched a lot of things, especially in early 2000s, even early 2010s. There was really a lot of a lot of really good TV shows. I now don't watch any of the TV shows that's on TV, not because they're particularly bad, because I do understand they're quite popular and there was a lot of fans um, that do follow the show religiously. But it's just that the commercial length has become a bit ridiculous. You know, if you're watching, for example, let's say you're watching Law & Order, it's a 40-minute episode, you'll get like two or two commercial breaks, it's like an hour, right? So these Turkish shows are usually like an hour, hour and a half long, but I swear to God, it will go from like, I, I, I saw it in the guide, TV guide yesterday, from 8 p.m. to like 12.30. That's a four and a half hour period where you're watching an hour and a half TV show. And they'll sometimes give you like a previously on whatever section. And then that will be also like an hour long. You might as well just watch the previous episode. Um, and I think that really decreases quality because it's just, they're just trying to make it last that four and a half hour slot. And there's just a lot of staring at each other, like blank stares and then shocked faces and poor editing and just poor storylines. So it has very much so decreased in quality, unfortunately. Um, I would say that's one of the more fixable um, or the less damaging problems um, of the fiction media. The more damaging, again, has to do a bit more with censoring and um, treatment of women. Shocker. Um, almost all of these TV shows that I, that, that I see have this trend of like that macho man and then women being treated poorly like objects being like being kicked around like physically being abused sexually being abused and then it all being worked out because you know they're family and they have to make it up so that kind of storyline has been happening with almost every single tv show and that is something that is quite devastating not because well, not only because the media literacy is quite low, but also because a lot of children watch these shows. And even though they shouldn't watch those shows, they still watch those shows. And they suddenly are under this impression that it's okay to treat women a certain way, or it's not okay for me to show emotions as a man. It's damaging to every part of society. And for some reason, these are not the shows that get fined or get like shut down or get punished one way or another. The shows that get shut down or get fined or get punished will have I don't know, one cuss word thrown in there that they forgot to edit out. Or, you know, you can't show a cigarette in your hand. You have to like ice it out. You can't show, sometimes they'll even draw the line at rainbows. Cause apparently if you look at a rainbow, you turn gay. Um, that That's, uh, some people really think that. So there's a lot of <laughs> hatred against the LGBTQ community, not in Turkey, but in people who have a say in Turkey, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, somehow they will make it so that certain type of relationships. So if you see a loving relationship between two women, that's not okay to show on TV because that disrupts the Turkish family values, they say. But it's okay to watch like a Turkish family on TV where the 
husband beats the woman, the, the wife all the time, and the children get punished for like literally no reason. And for some reason, that's fine. It does seem hypocritical because you mentioned way back at the at the beginning that uh, the Turkish government is trying to um, keep people in prison if they committed acts of violence against the LGBTQ plus community and they're censoring that in the television. So it just seems very hypocritical to me. Yeah, because so that wasn't the LG that was the LGBT the protections towards the LGBTQ people and the punishments being increased um, for hate crimes was in the Istanbul Convention, which they then backed out of. And one of the reasons that they backed out of was because they thought it was disrupting the Turkish family values. Because again, for some reason, Turkish families can't consist of two good moms, but they can consist of one abusive father, um, Mm -hmm. apparently for some reason. And that is really upsetting because there is a big LGBTQ population here and people can come out and people, when people come out, they get harassed because of people who just, I, I, I can't even and like say this in a respectful way with people who are just dumb um and have a certain way about how world this should be and I, I i know that this is the case like all around the world as well but it just gets frustrating when you're watching like an american show when there's an lgbtq couple and that's fine you know maybe like your aunt is like <laughs> pulling a side eye or something and like when you were sitting with your family sure that's one would think but then that just can't happen here i i know that in one of the latest netflix originals um that came out of turkey which is love 101 it's a really good show it's going to be one of my recommendations there was supposed to be an lgbtq lgbtq plus character that they had to change out of the script from because they were going to get fined and you know this is a netflix produced show so it's not supposed to like they're not supposed to be subject to the same rules as turkish tv but for some reason they couldn't even put that on tv but then there's no problem with like watching a two-hour-long fight scene on TV for some reason. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned a couple of other examples of censorship, like cigarettes, and that's a thing. Uh, and of course, I'm not trying to say that Indian censorship is worse or not as harsh as Turkey, but um, in Indian, like they air a ton of anime there. And when I was growing up, like five, six, seven years old, you could show alcohol and cigarettes, but now they're blurred out because. Who knows? Kids might not understand that this is a cigarette and that cigarettes are bad for you. Like I just saw some like glass of alcohol. I want to drink it. And I'm only two years old. I I know. I remember when I was younger, you could also like see those things that, you know, you, they didn't have to like blur out a glass of wine or they didn't have to blur out like a cigarette. Um, I think it started with blurring out cigarettes just to like decrease the number of people who were smoking cigarettes in Turkey, which I think that campaign really did help because the numbers had really decreased and it's not like as popular anymore here, luckily. But then it just like moved over to wine, champagne. Like I, if you show me like a beer bottle and you like make it blurry, I'm still going to be able to tell that's a beer bottle. You're just making the show more hard to harder to watch because there's a blurry thing on my screen. I don't think it's really doing its purpose anymore. And I think one way that it's going is the TV shows are just avoiding writing those in the script so they don't have to edit it out later. Agreed. I mean, when I was six years old, I watched this anime called Ninja Hattori, and there's a storyline in which a father is addicted to cigarettes, and that was perfectly fine to show. But then I think seven, eight years later, there's a cartoon called Doraemon, anime called Doraemon, where they just blurt out a cigarette. So I'm wondering, is there going to be like a kid who's like, what is this pipe in a person's mouth that's evoking smoke because it's blurred out like i can tell it's a cigarette it's not helping much 
right? Like the conversation there should be more like mom or dad or parental figure. Is it okay that this person is smoking? And then the parent should be the one or the guardian should be the one to say smoking is bad. Here's why it shouldn't be blurred out. They can still know what it is, but you know what? I guess that's, that's the type of problem you can solve when you're in power. Is there like a censorship of sex and nudity in Turkish media? Um, I think so. Like if the nudity is like, it's like quite literally like topless or like no clothes, the, the private parts will get blurred out. Um, but if it's like side nudity or something, it, 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 it doesn't happen a lot on like the TV shows just because I, I think they understand that there's a lot more children watching it. But for movies and like for all the other stuff, it doesn't get it doesn't get like blurred out. Um, it's just done in a tasteful way is what they say. Gotcha. And uh, again, I'm not trying to compare India to Turkey completely, but uh, I think one of the Transformer movies from what I've read got an adults only rating in India. And I think I read somewhere is because they had a dick joke in there, a couple of dick jokes. So they got an adults only rating in India from what I've heard. What I remember is when a lot of things are translated here, you know, they don't translate, like, for example, someone will say like the F word and they won't like the F word, not the the derogatory one but the one that i shouldn't say the one here that's like you know when you're like saying when you bang your toe or something um they won't translate it they'll translate it as something that's like damn it or darn it or like crap you know the, the translations will be really like light even in even in subtitles um sometimes they'll be even more crude which that's really, really that's really rare but i remember when deadpool came out it was the studio's request that the translations will be like quite literally the same so I remember the voice artist I had watched an interview of his and he was talking about how it was so odd for him to be able to say all these swear words because he they usually just like made it cuter easier like different swear words so uh, that you know I think that's one of those things that it's kind of like censorship but it's kind of funny too oh yeah that reminds me in India according to Quora, they bleeped out the cuss words and the sentences where they say bad words. Deadpool got censored. <laughs> then you just couldn't watch Deadpool. Deadpool's full of words that shouldn't be said on TV. I mean, it was hilarious, but like it's probably just like a long beep. Yes, and uh, it says here yeah, the fighting scenes are still the same, but there's like this scene where this ro- romance montage with Deadpool and his girlfriend, and that's completely censored from what it's sounds like it was visual i remember that but it's it's deadpool deadpool it's has it's supposed to be like shocking it's deadpool please it's his personality exactly and so that reminds me so are there any good shows or music from turkey that you want to recommend this one and on a bit of a happy note here yes yes i have quite a few um so in terms of shows just to make it more accessible to everyone turkey makes brilliant i'm not saying this in like a biased way but kind of biased way but turkey makes really good netflix originals um the third season of um, i hope i'm like remembering how the translations right of the names but there's one called the gift um the third season just came out unbelievable it is like fiction i, I don't know if it's like science fiction but it's like kind of like fantastic kind of ish um mythological turkish series very good um, I, I binge it. My parents and I binge that one. Um, there is Love 101, as I mentioned previously. It's more like a teen show, but it's it's really cute. Just talk about heavy topics. Second season is supposed to come out any minute now. Um, looking forward to that. There is one called The Protector, which was the first Netflix series that came out of Turkey. And The Protector is 
unbelievable. It did give its finale, I think, like last year. And scary so, the I think the season before the last was, or was it the last season? It started with the pandemic or like it started with like some type of an illness ravaging through Istanbul. And this was before COVID. Um, so then like the same thing happened, which is really scary. But the protector is very, very good. Again, it's like a bit of Turkish history. It has like a bit of Turkish mythology. Very good mix. Um, there was one called 50 meters squared ended on a cliffhanger. I am, I am hoping that it will get a second season because I, I want to know what happened. Um, those are very good. That's on Netflix. There's also a lot of funny like Turkish movies on Netflix. And I am just going to be a bit more picky when I say these, because I do understand that some of them require humor that you would probably get if you lived here for a while, if you like understand the lingo a bit. So I'm just going to talk about basically the ones that I thought would be fitting. And I did show my friends and they did like, um, there was one called kill me if you dare, which is a romantic comedy. And it is hilarious. Um, I remember the miracle in cell no number seven was quite popular at a while. I didn't watch it because it was really, really sad is what I've been told. So I did not watch it, but it's supposed to be very good. Um, I'm also just scrolling through Netflix to see if I can give you a bit more. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, there's this one called, this is actually, it's actually a series. Um, I think it's like two to three movies, but it's called Romantic Comedy, which is, I think it, it's quite literally translates as romance, like rom-com. Um, and, and they're rom-coms and, and they're the classics. They're really good. What if we're talking about the classics? Do you want to go all the way back? Um, to the height of Turkish to Turkish television and Turkish cinema, um, and that's called like the Yeshilcham era because of where it was um, mainly filmed. And my recommendation from there, um, I can either spell this out because it's a bit hard to understand, but it is these movie series called Hababam Sınıfı. It's about these boys boarding school students, and they have basically failed out so many times that they're well into their 30s, but they're in high school. Um, and they are like, if you're a teacher there, they're the worst class you could ever face. And it's, it's hilarious. You know, a lot of really good Turkish actors, um, the classics, they're classics, a lot of very good known Turkish actors, a lot of, they've, they've had like, they've, they've had like two to three remakes, but none of them hit as well as the originals. Those are my recommendations for what to watch. For what to listen, 90s Turkish pop. 90s and early 2000s Turkish pop. I haven't listened to Turkish music ever since then because that's where it peaked. Um, Spotify has a playlist <laughs> called 90s Turkish pop. So just go ahead, listen to the songs. Uh, when we used to join Eurovision, we also had like very good entries at Eurovision. Um, Should have won in 2010 uh, with the call, a song called We Could Be The Same. Have to listen to that one for sure. Um, overall, I think there's still really good media that comes out of Turkey, uh, really good shows, really good movies that come out of Turkey. Um, Netflix usually does put out a really good amount of them. And then again, Spotify, when you look at Turkish lists on Spotify, there's good stuff that comes out. Would you mind spelling out the name of the one with the 30 something high schoolers? I want to check that out. Sure. Um, it's so H A, let me spell it out for myself first. I think that would be the best case because... Yeah. Okay, so it's H-A-B-A-B-A-M blank S-I-N-I-F-I. -I -I. I'm hoping there are like at least English subtitles to these because they're classics. Um, but if not, the remakes probably do have subtitles. Gotcha. And so, Celine, thank you so much. You know, that was a very good 
in capturing uh, Turkish media, especially with uh, news, media literacy, uh, what it's like to be a journalist, and also talking about the fictional media. And those recommendations, I'm sure will, somebody will check them out at some point. No, I'm just saying you should. I'm, I'm not saying this in a biased way, but I also am saying in a biased way, they are, they're amazing. I'm, I'm actually going to go watch one of these right now. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Celine Tutar, thank you so much for agreeing to be on this episode of Let's Talk Media with Vedanta Kari. I really appreciate it, especially because you're seven hours ahead of me and I'm sure you're like dead from finishing college from Zoom. So thank you. And this was really fun. It was a really good way to start my week.